Hospitals are closing, but is it really a case of here we go again because of reductions in reimbursement? This time we are in the most serious recession in decades. What lies ahead for physicians and their patients with this sudden uptick in consolidation? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter with the Chicago Tribune, and joining me today is Dr. Alan Sager. Dr. Sager is professor of health policy and management at the Boston University School of Public Health. He has a particular interest in health reform and in particular has studied causes and effects of urban hospital closings. And he joins us today from his offices in Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Alan Sager, welcome to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Well, thank you. Well, it's great to have you here because I know what over my many years as being a healthcare reporter, I've called on you from time to time for your expertise. And if you could just give us a lay of the land out there now in the the hospital arena with the consolidations, because it just seems like you keep hearing more and more about hospitals cutting or closing or shutting their emergency rooms and, and what's going on out there. That's right. We do have an upsurge in the number of hospitals closing or sometimes cutting back on services partly in the face of fewer insured patients. And the frustrating thing, of course, is that the closings have little or nothing to do with need for care. The need for care is as high or greater than ever. And if you could give us a little background on some of your research, I know I leafed through a little bit before we talked today. And are we seeing something different this time because of the economy as opposed to mid-1990s, late 1990s with the Balanced Budget Act? It just seems like there's a more of a confluence of things going on. From time to time, forces that push hospitals over the edge become stronger and stronger. And that's happening now. In the 1990s, reductions in Medicare payments to many hospitals led to a wave of closings. We saw similar things in different cities in the 60s and 70s, sometimes in the 80s, and we have another pattern now. And in following about 1,200 hospitals in 52 cities since the 1930s, I've seen waves of closings, sometimes relocations out of older city areas, and sometimes mergers or consolidations that lead to closing. But the bottom line effect is cumulative And we've seen the stripping away of enormous numbers of medium-sized hospitals from older areas of cities. And how has this impacted the community and the caregivers, such as the physicians, when this has happened? Very often, physicians who remain in practice in an older neighborhood feel that the props are cut out from under them by the closing of a hospital. They lose a convenient place to which to admit and care for patients, a place where they've worked. And often the closing of the hospital can lead to a retirement, or a decision to relocate the practice. Yeah, so really, it's not only like when the hospital is the safety net, the physician is is losing his or her safety net, and so they just don't have a choice to but to leave. Is that generally what you find? The loss of the hospital is a powerful effect on physicians, although sometimes it's the other way around because it's really a symbiotic relationship between physicians in private practice and community hospitals. Sometimes the A neighborhood may change and physicians may follow patients to the suburbs because physicians generally serve practices of patients more than they serve locations. 
No, not always. Are there certain areas to or certain ways that, let's just say you're a physician in a neighborhood that has a hospital, and let's the physician might even be on the board or might be willing to do something about it. Are there certain services that close first or certain things that they should be on the look for or signs that that hospital's in trouble? This can vary from place to place. In some areas, financial problems have gotten serious enough that even larger hospitals are closing services that they perceive as less profitable, sometimes dialysis, sometimes certain forms of cancer care may be cut. Sometimes hospitals have closed entire large services like pediatrics or obstetrics because they see those as money-losing services. But in fact, if these services were covering more than the actual cost of operations and contributing to overhead, closing them actually worsens the hospital's bottom line. And so when that happens, does it tend to just trickle down from there? Or is there often, it seems like in certain markets I've noticed where sometimes there are efforts to save the hospital. And so a new owner comes in, but yet it's scaled down. Is It seems like it takes forever for a hospital to actually close. That's right. It can. Sometimes decades can be involved. Shrinkage of beds, loss of services, loss of physicians, loss of patients in a downward spiral where the hospital finds it very hard to regain equilibrium. And that's partly because we just don't have a functioning free market that can identify and stabilize needed hospitals. Even hospitals in areas where lots of patients have insurance and you think there should be enough money to float the hospital. Well, if you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter with the Chicago Tribune, and joining me today from his offices in Boston, Massachusetts, is Dr. Alan Sager. Dr. Sager is a professor of health policy and management at the Boston University School of Public Health, and he has a particular interest in health reform and the cause and effects of hospital closings, particularly in urban areas. And we're talking about the impacts right now on physicians. And and Dr. Sager, if you will, given your interest in health reform, do you see anything on the horizon that could help the situation for physicians and communities? And I know that healthcare reform, we've been talking about that happening for years, but perhaps something immediate that would that would help right away? Nothing seems to be on the horizon right away. We have more than 50 million uninsured people today. If they all had coverage, We'd have a lot more paying customers, and that would certainly help. Another thing that would help would be to equalize payments across Medicaid, Medicare, HMOs, and insurance companies. Because in a free market, all of us pay the same price for a gallon of milk at a supermarket. So it's almost crazy to have different payers paying radically different amounts for the same care. That's how it would be in a free market. And the state of Maryland has actually regulated payment to hospitals to ensure that all payers contribute their fair share and provide the revenue to keep every needed hospital open. And so in Maryland, is that something relatively new? And also, is it just the revenue stream to hospitals that is sort of equalized, or is it to doctors as well? Two important points. Maryland has been making this work in different ways since the early 1970s, over 30 years. And they found a way to stabilize almost every hospital in the state. But... Recently, one hospital southwest of downtown Baltimore has gotten into trouble because the Maryland payment system does not cover the extra costs of hospitals when they have to hire more physicians on salary. And very often, hospitals want to stay open, but there aren't enough physicians in private practice nearby, and the hospital's survival depends on 
hiring enough physicians to staff emergency rooms and to admit and care for patients. And the Maryland law does not cover those extra costs of physician services that hospitals have to incur to stay open. And so has Maryland, even with this sort of equal reimbursement between the private and government health insurers, have they been able to stem the tide of hospital closures better than other states? Absolutely. They also pick up a large share of hospital uncompensated care costs, and this makes it much easier for hospitals to survive. There have been a few closings in Baltimore, and there certainly have been difficulties in the Prince George County suburbs northeast of of Washington, D.C., partly because the former mayor of Washington closed the public hospital, which was on that side of the district. And so when you lose one hospital, often there really is a domino effect on the physicians and hospitals nearby. And have you noticed anything different that some of the states may do? I I know that in the stimulus, some states may be getting some money to shore up their Medicaid programs. I mean, is that something that could help right away to keep these hospitals afloat? Or is there something that maybe some other states are doing that could indeed keep these hospitals open? Well, unfortunately, it looks like the extra federal payments to state Medicaid programs will, in most states, not do much more than keep things where they were, prevent further erosion of coverage. States are not, for example, moving to raise their payment levels to hospitals and physicians to equalize, say, the rates paid by Medicare, let alone by private payers. Unfortunately, most states are a little bit at sea on this because they don't even have lists of the hospitals and the emergency rooms, let alone the physicians, who are required to protect the health of the public in different parts of their states. And so do you see anything immediate if the stimulus is not necessarily going to answer the question that the president and Congress should look at initially to keep these hospitals open? I think they have to identify it as a problem. One of the difficulties here is that it's the cumulative effect of decades and decades of closings of hospitals that have left huge expanses of many cities without any emergency rooms, without any acute care hospitals. It's a slow problem. The second thing we have to grapple with is that Most Americans want to believe that a functioning free market will save the hospitals that need to be saved and close the hospitals that deserve to be closed. And certainly a functioning free market would always be my first choice, but we absolutely don't have one because, and here's a a powerful piece of proof, the hospitals that close are just as efficient, sometimes a little more efficient on average, than the ones that survive. But in a functioning free market, we know that efficiency would be a big survival factor, and that just isn't the case for hospital care. So state governments have to recognize that without a functioning market, if government continues to play dumb and and stay on the sidelines, we'll have no market and no government, and that will mean continued hospital anarchy. And so basically, you're saying that we would just continue to leave, there would be holes in the market. And one thing I wanted to throw out to you is that, you know, it seemed that like the insurance industry and others were saying, well, you know, mergers are good because you don't need to be in the hospital as long because the length of stays are shorter, because insurers aren't paying as much money and people are healthier and the drugs are better and so forth. Do you buy that at all? Did we have some of that sort of wrenching some fat out of the system or, or is that something that didn't really do us well? Well, starting in the 1980s, we've been closing hospitals and beds. We've gone from four and a half beds per thousand Americans to about two and three quarter beds per thousand Americans. And ever since we've been closing beds, the rate of increase in hospital care, even adjusted for inflation, has actually gone up faster. 
So we don't see a case of saving money by closing beds and closing hospitals, partly because so much care moves to the outpatient side. And also, when you cut days or stays from the hospital, you're eliminating the less expensive patients. So average cost for the remaining patients skyrockets. Now, would a medical home, I mean, that's a buzzword that, you know, the Obama administration, Congress, it's what people talk about. If you got these people who are uninsured uh, a medical home, get them primary care, hook them up with a doctor, would that be enough? I mean, or do we need more hospitals? We need both. Medical homes are needed even by many people who have good insurance because we've been ripping the guts out of primary care, family medicine for so long. Family doctors are paid so much less than specialists who, like surgeons who, or cardiologists who perform procedures that it's hard to get enough really good people in primary care, which may be the hardest job in medicine. We have only half as many family doctors per thousand Americans as other wealthy countries do for their people. And that's one of the reasons other countries make healthcare much more affordable. But at the same time, you can prevent problem A and problem B, but problem C will whack you. And then we need hospitals. And other countries that spend half what we do actually provide more hospital beds and more days in the hospital than we do, as well as more doctor visits. So it's pretty clear that we can do better, especially since we spend, as you know, this year $2.5 trillion on health care, four times defense spending, $8,000 per American. It should be enough to take care of everyone. Well, that's an interesting point, too. I mean, if there is that much money spent, would you say that there doesn't necessarily mean to be more money spent? It just has to be sort of a reallocation? I think you're on to a key there. Probably half of healthcare spending is wasted. And that may not be remarkable. Gasoline engines are only 50% efficient at best. But if we saved even one-fifth of healthcare waste, that would be more than enough to cover everybody who's uninsured and also provide dental benefits and long-term care for most of the people who don't have those. So we spend enough on health care to take care of everyone, but the challenge is to identify waste and squeeze it out and catch it in a bucket and then recycle it, recycle that fat as clinical bone and muscle to keep open hospitals and pay family doctors in medical homes and pay for home health care for disabled older people across the board. Well, with that, I'd like to thank Dr. Alan Sager, who's been our guest. He's a professor of health policy and management at the Boston University School of Public Health. And we've been talking about hospital closures and cutting services at these facilities and this uptick in consolidation, its impact on the system. And I'd like to thank him for joining us from his offices in Boston. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter with the Chicago Tribune, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on the air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and I'd like to thank you today for listening.